Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church on this the second Sunday of Advent. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. I'm, I want to tell you that in about an hour and a half this church, this sanctuary will be alive, will be in fact swarming with about 60 kids who are going to gather for one purpose. And that purpose is to share with you the story that we are about to read in the Gospel of Luke, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So if you would turn in your pew Bible or in your bulletin or in your own Bible, if you brought it with you, to Luke chapter 2, beginning in the first verse, hear now the word of God as it comes to us in the Gospel of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, today as we read about the birth of the light of the world into the world, we ask you to speak to us, to awaken us, and to turn us toward his glory. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. You know, I love the Christmas pageant. I know that it's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun, and frankly, it's just precious. It's sometimes goofy, but aside from all of that, I wanna make the point today that it is important. Now, this is now the sixth Christmas pageant I have seen here, but by far, last year's Christmas pageant was the most unusual. In case you don't remember, last year we couldn't do the Christmas pageant in the usual, usual way because of COVID restrictions. So instead of doing the pageant in here in the sanctuary, we had a drive-through pageant 
out on Avenue E. And what would happen is that all of the kids and their families set up these little stations and you would drive your car by and roll down your window and they would tell you their portion of the Christmas story. And then they would give you a little snack like a cookie or popcorn. We, we know how these things work. But it was fun to have everybody come through. And we had dozens of cars and hundreds of people come through for that drive-through Christmas pageant. And I just want to say that that is just one example of the creative and adaptive things that our children's ministry cooked up during the pandemic. And even though we weren't gathered here in the sanctuary, doing the pageant the way it has been traditionally done, it still happened. And dozens of cars with lots of people came to experience it. But we might ask ourselves, why would we go to all that trouble? Why not just skip the pageant one year? Are we obligated to do it every year? Is, the, is it required by the book of church order or by the essential tenets or the bylaws of the church? Well, no, there's, there's no reason legally why we are bound to do a Christmas pageant every year. But there is something special about a Christmas pageant that goes beyond sentimentality, and I think it goes beyond the nostalgia and the tradition and even the cuteness of it. We don't have to do the Christmas pageant every year. We don't have to do a Christmas pageant at all. But to some degree, I believe we need to do a Christmas pageant. And so every now and then, we need to stop and ask ourselves, why? Why do we do it? Why do we need to do it? And I think that there's actually some solid justification for why we should do a Christmas pageant. There is solid and sound theological reasoning behind it. Now, a lot of people just love the Christmas pageant for all the sentimental and nostalgic reasons. When you have a long-standing tradition in the church, people want to be a part of it. And people remember fondly when either they or their children were angels or were shepherds or wise men or sheep or donkeys or even mice in the play. There are others who say, you know what, I helped to make those costumes or I, I was a mouse wrangler or a shepherd wrangler one year. I remember when we first moved here, my son got here just in time to take on which, uh, what I discovered was a very dis prestigious part in the play. He got to be the second half, the back half of the camel. <laughs> what you've ever seen, if you come back in a little while, you'll see that the camel is not just, you have the head and then you've got the back half and there's like this porthole in the hump so you can see out of the camel. But it's really, from what I understand, a very prestigious position. <laughs> but it's always fun to talk about the new babies born that year and who might play the baby Jesus or you might wonder and worry if there's going to be a boy who will play Joseph and a girl who will play Mary or a fifth or a sixth grader who's consistent and confident enough to learn and deliver all the lines necessary to the angel of the Lord. And there's always a special role for the confirmation class, the eighth graders who serve as our readers and our narrators for the pageant. And we all have to admit that it's really pretty darn cute seeing these little people dressed up like mice, dressed up like sheep, dressed up like angels, and the little ones, the youngest ones, fidgeting and giggling and sometimes wandering around while other older ones are so serious. They're so dedicated. They are so focused on their roles. And you know, one of the best things is when they're actually bloopers and maybe one little mouse starts to chase a sheep around the stage or something like that. We all remember those things and it's not a problem 
It's just fun. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes the bloopers are the best part. But one thing I always want to remind the children, and I had a chance to talk with them yesterday as they were rehearsing, one thing I always want to remind the children is that the Christmas pageant is important because it's instructional. There are always, and there will be today, people who have never been to church before and who have never heard the Christmas story before. We live in an, in an, in an increasingly secular culture. In the past, one could count on people hearing the Christmas story at school or seeing it depicted on TV or being represented in public nativity scenes. America was not yet ashamed of the gospel as it seems increasingly to be today. And today, the true story of Jesus' birth is often forgotten amidst the distractions of the secular holidays or worse, hidden and denigrated by cancel culture. The holy has been removed from the holidays or the holy days. And Christmas has become a homogenized winter celebration and all you can really talk about is the weather. And so the pageant comes and it has become an act of evangelism. Because if we don't tell the story of Christ's birth, of God's great gift to humankind, no one else will. But it's not just sentimental and it's not just cute and it's not just simply instructional. A, I think a fun and memorable way to do all of these things, but it's not just those things. There's another reason. And I think that probably one of the most overlooked reasons for why the Christmas pageant is important is this. The Christmas story, the Christmas pageant is theologically important. Now theology is a churchy $5 word that simply means the way we talk about what we believe. The roots are theo, which is the Greek word for God, and the word logos, which is the Greek word for word. So simply what theology means most literally is words about God or God words. The pageant is theologically important because it presents and explores one of the most important, one of the deepest mysteries of our faith. The theological heart of the Christmas story is a concept called the incarnation. The purpose of the pageant is to proclaim and signify the reality of the incarnation. Now, what is the incarnation? The Gospel of John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The theological term for the Word becoming flesh is the word incarnation. It literally means to be made flesh. Now, I've learned that as Texans know, carne, as in chili con carne, actually means meat or chili with meat. And when John said that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, he means that what happened, that which was spiritual, actually took on meat or flesh as we are. It's the theological way of saying that the true God became a true human being. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, the Word made flesh, God with us. 
What that means is that it was God who was born in a stable. It was God who touched the lepers and gave sight to the blind. When Jesus suffered on the cross, it was Emmanuel who suffered. God felt every prick of the thorns, every lash of the whip, every rip of the hammer and the nails. It was God who not only felt the pain of the cross, but who felt all of the betrayal and all the scorn and all the indifference and all the violence of death. God did not just feel empathy, he felt real pain. The pain of our brokenness, the pain of our fear, the the pain of our anger, and the pain of our sin. We need to understand that this is not just some academic theological abstraction. This matters because the the world doesn't need an insulated, faraway surrogate God who stands back and speculates about our lives, who lives out in space or on his high and holy Mount Olympus. We need a real God who knows what it's like to be one of us, who gets it, a God who empties himself to get down in the mud and the blood and the monotony and the stress of everyday human life just to prove how much he loves us. The God of Christmas and of Easter is a God who knows what we're up against. He knows our weaknesses, he knows our circumstances, he knows our situations because he's been through it. He gets it because he came himself. As St. Augustine described it, he was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He, the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. At the first Christmas, God the Holy Spirit performed the most mind-blowing biological and spiritual experiment that the universe has ever known to make God truly human, and to make man capable of being fully God. He joined fallen humanity with sinless divinity. He took idea and made it substance. He stitched flesh and spirit together. He took smoke and made it solid. He joined the material and the immaterial, and he took a promise, and he made it real. The word became flesh. Now we read this story every year. Right here in the Gospel of Luke. There's another description in Matthew's Gospel. The incarnation is declared by John, proclaimed by Paul, and even ratified by the book of Revelation. And these words are Holy Spirit-inspired, inerrant, infallible, complete, God-breathed words sufficient unto themselves for our salvation. They're about the truth of what God has done in the birth of Jesus Christ. And here's what I love most about the pageant. Here's what's fascinating and to some degree compelling about a Christmas pageant. Through the drama of the pageant, The words of the story take on substance and become real through the costumes, through the sets, through the props, but especially through the players. The pageant, the pageant brings the story into the flesh. Why a pageant? Because Christmas is about incarnation. 
And the pageant brings the story to life. In drama, think about this, in drama, the words of the playwright become flesh. And what makes this drama compelling is that it reminds us that God, the Word, revealed himself not just in words, not just in propositions, but in the flesh. And the power of the pageant is that the pageant is not just a play or a skit, it's a sign. Now, what's a sign? A sign is an object or an action that draws attention to something else, that points to something else, like a large flashing arrow pointing down the road to a place you cannot yet see, but is nevertheless real. Theologically speaking, a sign is something tangible that points to something else that's intangible, something material that points to something immaterial, something natural that points to something supernatural. A sign is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. And the Christmas pageant is an incarnational way to talk about the incarnation. The story is about the incarnation and the pageant itself is a sign pointing to the incarnation. The pageant makes the word of God, the story of the birth of Christ, and the truth of the incarnation real. It puts flesh and blood on the story. The word of God became flesh, just as the words of the Bible are made real through the dramatic production involving real people. The pageant itself reminds us that the word of God was made flesh, that it was made real in the real world. The pageant is a reminder that Bethlehem is as real a place as San Antonio, that the inn and the stable are as real as this sanctuary, that the angel Gabriel is as real as marvelous Bukhari, the young man who'll be playing him in the pageant. That Joseph is as real as Finley Weir. That Mary is as real as Caitlin Matheson. That the birth of Jesus is as real as the, as the birth of Reagan Verhul. That the wise men, the animals, and are as real as the players here today. But it also means this, that the crises and the problems of their time are as real as our own. That the danger, of Mar- danger for Mary and the burden of Joseph are as real as our dangers and our burdens. That that first Christmas night was as real an event on the calendar as today, December 5th, 2021. It's as real as Caesar Augustus and his mandates were as real and obnoxious as so many other government mandates now. And the conflicts and the challenges and the angst and the danger were real. And we can relate to them. The danger to Mary, real. The decisions of Joseph, real. The consequences, real. The mother, the father, the angels, the shepherd, the stable, the star. All real real people, places, and events. And that's why we accept the fact that Christmas pageants are messy. They're confusing. They're complicated just like real life. 
The pageant should confirm in us that this is not a fable or a morality play. It should remind us that this story is about a historical event. And it's not only an argument that these locations, characters, and events were real and that they really happened. This event is a declaration that the eternal truth declared by the angel is also real. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's true. It's real. And if it was true then, then it is true now. Glory to God in the highest. Just as the story of the incarnation is embodied and made real through this little dramatic production involving real-life children, the pageant itself reminds us that the Word of God was made flesh, that it was made real in the real world, as real as these wiggling children and runny noses. So the Christmas story is not just a cutesy story to entertain us. Every detail of this story is a sign. It's an embodiment of the fulfillment of God's promise. So yes, the Christmas pageant is cute and it is fun, but we should really love the Christmas pageant because it reminds us that the Christmas story actually happened in history, in our world, most of all, in the flesh. These costumes, these props, this set, but especially these children players are all here in the flesh to remind us that this really happened. The pageant reminds us that God is real and that he really loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it reminds us that Jesus is real. That the Son of God understands us, he knows us, he gets us. Because he was born like us, he grew up like us, he had friends and family, he had a job, he had a history and a community, he had opportunities and temptations, he knew hunger and stress, he knew love and joy. And he knew it all firsthand because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let us pray. O oh Lord, today, as these children get dressed, as they prepare, as they get through their nervousness and as they build on their excitement, Lord, let them be empowered and even anointed to share your truth through this adorable but important event. Lord, help us to appreciate that your word declared with passion is always a grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.